0: Welcome to the Hydric & Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation.
1: Hi, I'm Martin Holm. I'm a partner in Hydrogen Struggle's Copenhagen office and a regional managing partner for Europe and Africa in the healthcare and life sciences practice. In today's podcast, I'm excited to speak to Lisa Kingo, Independent Board Director at Danone, Sanofi and Covestro. In 1988, Lisa joined Novo Industries, now Novo Nordisk, where she served as Chief of Staff, Executive Vice President and member of the Executive Management Team, being instrumental in defining Novo Nordisk's sustainable business strategy. Lisa then moved to New York for a five-year tenure as CEO and Executive Director of the United Nations Global Compact, implementing sustainable development goals. And now she functions as an independent member of the board in prominent international boards. Lisa, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
0: Thank you so much, Martin. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
1: I was thinking that based on your range of experiences, it would be really great uh, for you to share your view on what contributions can the private sector make to the ESG agenda to make the greatest impact on society and the planet.
0: Yeah, that's a big question. It so um, <laughs> I think as a starting point, the whole idea about companies uh, contributing to the environment, to society, is basically what we mean when we say sustainable business or ESG. And in my mind, a very nice way to define the societal uh, responsibility is to have a look at the 17 Sustainable Development Goals unanimously agreed uh, at the UN in 2015 because these goals outline some of the major global challenges that companies today need to be part of solving and improving. And the 17 goals has served as a lighthouse and an inspiration already for many, many companies across the world. And I would say that probably the majority of larger companies today have picked three or four of the sustainable development goals and integrated them into their business strategy to make sure that sustainable business is built into the heart of, how should I say, uh, the business operations. This also marks a very important shift in society from a shareholder capitalism, where the role of business basically was to generate a financial uh, surplus, whereas the model that uh, is emerging today is stakeholder capitalism, where companies, of course, need to make a profit. Uh, but also needs to contribute to the planet and to society uh, across the world. Unfortunately, when we look at these 17 sustainable development goals that we could also call a scorecard for the world, this scorecard is in red. So the world is far behind on UN's goals for climate change, diversity, sustainable consumption, so it's really urgent that business take responsibility and the 17 goals cannot be met without the contribution of the global business society. So it's really important for the future of the planet and all of us that business is uh, actively engaged.
1: CEOs aspiring to pave the way forward to sustainability will, of course, be mindful of having a qualified dialogue with with the ownership of the company, the board, etc., on how their company will perform better by doing so. It, it's probably safe to say that that agenda uh, goes hand in hand. How or What do you see as the competitive advantages economically and socially? Uh, the companies can be looking at when purposefully implementing sustainability initiatives.
0: Today, the sustainable business agenda have become quite advanced. It is actually an agenda that started back in ninety two, so it has developed over a number of years. And today, sustainable business has become a legal requirement to all major companies. So it's actually not voluntary if you want to address ESG or not. It is a compliance matter for many companies. But let's start with the investors. I think it's fair to say that investors today require that companies can account for their ESG performance. Not least because It is a very efficient way of providing investors with a risk profile for the company, but it's also a great way to figure out if the company is prepared to become a, how should I say, company of the future, considering that we are living in a world with many, many challenges and many, many changes, Uh, For example, in terms of climate change, in terms of the geopolitical challenges that many companies are facing today, uh, but of course also on social areas like diversity, inclusion and so on. So it's a very good way for investors to test if the company is fit for the future. Secondly, I think it's important to mention that ESG reporting In many parts of the world today, particularly in Europe, is simply a matter of compliance. You have to report as part of your annual reporting on your ESG performance and also on your uh, climate impact. So you would simply be out of compliance if you didn't report. And, of course, the challenge is that you need to set up a strategy, you need some goals, you need activities to have something to report about. I think it's also fair to say that ESG today is considered a fiduciary duty for boards. So when I work as a professional board director in various boards, I'm responsible towards the shareholders that the company has a good and solid approach to ESG. So it's actually not a matter of choosing if you want to discuss ESG on the board or not. It's part of fiduciary duty. Finally, it's also important to mention that having a strong ESG profile today is a prerequisite for attracting talented young people. Many young people don't want to work for a company they can't identify with or feel proud about. And we actually know from a Goldman Sachs study that 90% of young people today want to work for, buy from or invest in responsible companies. So I think it's fair to say that ESG has simply become a competitive theme among, I would say, all industries that I know of. So that's also why you see many board members educating themselves uh, around ESG, and you see many companies creating an ESG uh, committee as part of their governance setup.
1: Now, Lisa, you also mentioned the the board's role here. Um, So I'm I'm keen to get your insights on, on sustainability and ESG in the boardroom. From your quite international board exposure, what would you point to as some of the ways that can keep sustainability consistently on the top of the board's agenda?
0: Well, I think best practice these days is to start by anchoring sustainability from the top at the strategic level of the business. So first ensure that sustainability is an integrated part of the business strategy, including the goals to achieve the strategy. It could be on access to health, it could be on climate, it could be on diversity, it could be to bring down the amounts of plastic used in production. So making it very concrete. The next important thing is to ensure that sustainability is part of the purpose of the company and also part of the values and behaviors that is supposed to drive that purpose across the organization globally. And then I think, as I mentioned briefly, that sustainability has to be part of the company's governance. It's part of the purpose. It should be a fixed item on the board's agenda throughout the year. It should be anchored in a specific ESG committee or as part of another committee, which can definitely also work. And then it should be integrated in the balanced scorecard of the company, so it can be cascaded throughout all functions of the business. Once you have sustainability fully integrated at the strategic level and in the overall scorecard for the company, Then you can begin to cascade down the priorities and the goals across the organization. So in the research and development area, in the production area, uh, in the supply chain, in purchasing, definitely also in the HR and leadership development area and in finance. Because sustainable financing is becoming still more important. And it's very crucial to anchor the whole sustainability thinking there as well. And I think once that is done, you have a much better framework to do, how should I say, the last part of the process, which is to report and communicate on all hopefully the great things the company is doing, but definitely also on some of the dilemmas that the company is facing. And what what I see as best practice these days is that the sustainability goals of the company is part of the incentive targets for the CEO, for executive management, and they are also cascaded down through the entire organization. And I'm also seeing more and more that sustainability being values-based is a key parameter when new leaders are being selected for important positions in the company. So, of course, you have to be able to create business results But you also need to demonstrate that you are an authentic leader that understands the whole sustainability agenda, the the importance of stakeholders, the importance of being global and holistic in your thinking. So that's definitely more and more becoming a, a parameter as well.
1: Lisa... In the life sciences sector, ESG and sustainability in general has become a major theme, for instance, and you mentioned some of the the responsibility to supply affordable drugs, to invest in developing new treatments, environmentally friendly manufacturing, transportation, medicines, etc. Lots of, of big themes. For life sciences companies, what do you see as the key drivers for impactful sustainability strategies?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting looking at the life science sector because the sector as such, and of course, in particular, the the huge global companies, they have worked with the sustainability agenda for many, many years. So I think they understand the agenda well. Most companies are very advanced in working with access to health, pricing in developing countries, how to provide donations to people that have no financial opportunities, and also uh, creating foundations that can help them facilitate providing better access to their products. And clearly for the life science sector, the whole access to health issue is probably the most relevant of all because that is so related to the products and at the core of the business. So, Martin, as an example, I think the climate agenda becomes still more important as we see how difficult it is for the world to maintain a future scenario aligned with a 1.5 degree increase in temperature. So many life science companies are looking into scope 3 targets. They are finding it very challenging, but I think many are definitely doing a great effort in trying to have both Scope 1, 2 and 3 in place. So Scope 3 is um, a huge priority at the moment. I would say an emerging priority, very closely related to climate change, is biodiversity. And I think for, for many life science companies today, that's a little bit abstract, but To focus on the link between health in society, climate change and biodiversity is probably going to make a lot of sense in setting biodiversity priorities going forward. And the last, how should I say, maybe not new, but a theme that has got new focus is the whole plastics agenda. I think it's not a new topic for the life science industry, but it has become more urgent today. And even though many life science companies can say, look, we only have a limited set of materials that we can use for packaging and for devices, they have to be approved by the authorities, still it shouldn't be used as an excuse. And when you read in the newspapers about the plastic challenges across the world, this issue will also hit pharma companies sooner or later. So, again, what I'm seeing is that uh, companies are grappling with the issues, both when it comes to packaging, you know, blister package, but definitely also when it comes to devices how you could maybe collect and reuse, how you could begin to use plastic materials that don't come from petrochemicals, but maybe from more uh, plant origins. It's a long road, but I think it's the expectation these days that you are working very hard on helping to address the plastic challenge of
1: the world. It's a lot of important themes and a complex agenda for sure. So a final question with your experience from the industry as an advisor and the boardroom. For all the CEOs and leaders out there looking for a clearer path for themselves and their companies on sustainability, what's your advice on where to start?
0: Well, I'd like to keep it very simple. Start at the strategic level. Define your priorities based on the Sustainable Development Goals. They have defined all the global challenges, there's a lot to choose between. Anchor these priorities in the heart of the business strategy, in the purpose, in the governance, and then cascade your priorities across the organization, making sure that incentives and promotions depend on both ESG and on financial success. That's the very short recipe.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks for sharing all your valuable insights and experience and advice, and for making the time to speak with us today.
0: It was my pleasure. Thank you, Martin. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.